0: Hey, everybody, it's Carrie Champion, and this is The Brown Print, a podcast that offers solutions and guidance for the marginalized and those who feel left out. These discussions will act as a guide to mentor those in need of direction and also to inspire those who feel hopeless. We will move the needle forward and speak out on the issues by way of dialogue and telling stories of those who need to be heard. It's been a little over three months since we first published uh, our very first episode of The Brown Print. The idea of The Brown Print was to basically give you some tools, some how to's, some lessons in life, basically a way for you to cope. Um, And I have been so grateful because I've had friends on this podcast. I've met new friends from this podcast. But more importantly, I I do believe that I have learned a lot from this podcast. Um, And so with that, I'd like to share some of my favorites because all of our guests have been great, but I want to share just some things that I have been able to use in my personal life, and I hope that you have been able to do the same. In episode one, we had Bozema St. John, the CMO of Netflix. Bozema, uh, as we said a million times throughout the podcast, uh, she and I are very close friends, uh, but what I admire about her most and why I wanted her to kick off the podcast was She has such an incredible ability to talk about her self-worth. I think women, uh, I think brown and black people, I think people who are normally not at the table are uncomfortable talking about their worth and believing in themselves. Um, And listening to her talk, uh, listening to her share her story, her journey, uh, as a woman from Ghana here now living in America, And living truly the American dream, she never ever sacrificed her self-worth. She knows when it's time to pack up and move on. She doesn't outstay her welcome, right? She's one of those people who will come to your house and she'll say, I'm not going to stay too long. I know when it's time for company to leave. That metaphor to me is how she has lived her life uh, personally and professionally. And I admire it because it takes a very strong, person, to walk away from something that no longer serves you. And that has everything to do with knowing yourself Work Everything that you've experienced, no matter where you've been and no matter how glossy and shiny it appears, you've always had to have that conversation at every level of your career. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. As you boss up, you still, as a Black woman in this corporate world, has you still have to Answer to someone, or have not even answer to someone, but have the conversation about you being unapologetic, about you being you. <laughs> and that's right. Yeah. Did it happen at Pepsi? Did it happen when you work with Spike? Did it happen at Apple? Did it happen at Uber? Uh, mm. And you know, you just got this great shiny new gig, by the way. And we'll get to that. That's a whole separate story because that to me is such a seminal moment in African American mm. history. Mm. And we'll get to that. But just so you know, that is what it is. Mm. Your turn.
1: Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Those are the answers. Yes. I've had to do it everywhere. And it's come in different ways, you know, because folks find new ways to ask you the same question. Mm. So I've had to find new ways to answer it. Sometimes I answer it privately. Sometimes I answer it publicly. Sometimes I answer it with a smile and then I ignore it.
0: Sometimes I have to say it straight
1: on with a loud voice that doesn't shake. Sometimes I have to answer it through somebody else who takes a message for me. I've had, to, I've had to say and I've had to answer the question again and again. Why are you so mm, fill in the blank? Can't you be less mm, fill in the blank? I want you to do mm, fill in the blank and then having to defend against that has just meant that I've become so much more nimble and adept at <laughs> moving past the barriers. I feel like Neo in the Matrix sometimes, you know mm! when you seen like the, yes, when you like go back, yeah, exactly. You know, you move back, whole body bent backwards to avoid the hail of bullets. Yeah, that's what it feels like sometimes. But you know what though? I do stand up every time because miss me with that, (laughs) okay? Miss me. And so I've had to find ways to answer the question again and again and again and again. And part of it I've reconciled has been, yes, because I do appear in these spaces differently from other people. And if I expect to keep breaking down doors or crashing ceilings or whatever the new term is, then I will have to continue to answer those questions because simply for the reason that no one has seen someone like me in that space before. And so, yes, they are going to ask me the same questions differently, like I was asked when I was 12. Why do you wear those clothes? Mm. Why does your hair look like that? Why do you talk like that? Why are those ideas that you have, why is your music like that? All of the same questions, Carrie. They're just different from when I was 12, but they're all with the same tone, simply because you haven't seen someone like me in this role before. So whether it was because I was fresh off the plane at 12 with a different accent and eating different food in the lunchroom, or I am 44 in a different boardroom sitting and trying to explain why my culture makes sense in this room, it is the same
0: thing. You, you stay inspiring me. The message I receive right now is that with me, like, tears in my eyes, y'all. Y'all act like, I know I know this, but, like, I'm me, and you haven't seen it before, and love me for who I am. And if you don't, I'm going to love myself.
1: Yes. Girl, word. And I, will, and I will leave you if you don't value me.
0: Let's put a pin right <laughs> there. So when I was working at ESPN, I would, you know my struggles and how upset mm-hmm. I was and what I went through right behind the scenes and you would look at me like, "Well, why do you sit there?" And I'd look mm. at you like, "Cuz I have to work." <laughs> or <laughs> because okay. I have to get paid yeah. or yeah. because it's my job, because yeah. who else wants me? Because where else mm. is there to go? The average person mm. thinks all of those things. The average person doesn't walk away from a high, profi- uh, high profile position. They don't walk away from Apple. They don't walk away from Beats. They don't walk mm. away from Pepsi. They don't walk away mm. from working with Spike. They don't walk away from being at Endeavor. The average mm. person says, God, these are such high profile positions. I've made such great contacts. I, 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 I have to be here um, because where else could I be? What, what else is out there for me? And a friend of mine pointed th- this out about you. Once you realize you're not wanted, you're out the door. Now, it's not, it's not you. Not you're not like fast. You're not like okay by tomorrow. But you you're making plans, and it, it it is a pivot that is that is done intentionally.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Where does that come from? How mm. where does that strength come from? And how the hell you keep leveling up to all these great ass <laughs> jobs? Damn it! I'm trying oh, God. to get a goddamn it. What? Hi, gosh, give me, God damn it, so give gross. me that money.
1: <laughs> it is such a complicated answer because it's a complicated situation. I think you're right. On the surface, it is that, yeah, when I'm not valued and I recognize that I'm not valued, I start making the plan to leave. I never do it spontaneously. I really don't. Um, it may look that way, but I am intentional in that you can, you can see the signs. It's like any other relationship. You know Mm. when you not want it. Mm. You know know when that person or that company don't want you. Yeah, why are you still calling me? When they stop listening (laughs) to you. You know the difference. Yeah. You know the difference. You know when that energy shifts. You know it. You know Mm -hmm. it. And then sometimes we ignore it because we're afraid. We're afraid. We don't want to be alone. We don't want to, you know, find a new thing. We don't want to be the new kid again. We don't like all of those things. Listen, I never want that either. I don't want to be the new kid. I don't want to have to figure out the systems again. I'm onboarding right now. You think I want to do that? No, I don't. Okay? I don't. I want to find a company where I can be for 15 years. I want to retire with the gold watch or whatever the hell they give you when you've been there for years and years. I want that. Okay? It's not that I don't. I absolutely want that. It is just that the brown print for my success has not come based on somebody else's success. So I am not going to apologize for the fact that my career doesn't look like what you expect it to look like. I'm not going to apologize for the moves I make based on my own self-interest. I'm not going to apologize for that. People ask me to apologize for that. They make Mm -hmm. me feel badly about it. Some people want to make me feel ashamed for the fact that I am in places for a short amount of time. I refuse Mm -mm. to apologize. Mm -hmm. I made this career on my own damn terms, and I refuse to let somebody else make me feel ashamed for it. I'm going to succeed in spite of it. Also, I'm a survivor, Carrie.
0: Who are you telling Tuh.
1: I'm a survivor. Who are you I bet telling? on myself? Because Bet I on fallen. yourself. I have fallen more times <laughs> than I can count, and I get up every single time. So guess what? If I look around and I'm like, oh I see, y'all don't want me. Okay, cool. Because you know what? This is not the first time. <laughs> okay. And I have survived others.
0: Oscar Daddle down to episode two. Uh Jamel Hill, my co-host on a show called Won't Stick to Sports. Uh, on Vice TV. Nice plug there. Y'all tune in. Jamel Hill, uh, most infamously or famously known as the sports journalist who called President Donald Trump a white supremacist. When that happened, there was so much hatred and, and so much backlash that she had to deal with. I, I thought to myself, gosh, she has to be built for this because this quite frankly, could be the end of her career. I do not see any good coming of this, but I watched her push through all the muck and the mire and the disrespect. And she's landed on top in a much more successful way, uh, peaceful, but more importantly, she has cemented her voice in the fight for equal rights for everyone. And I am so honored to call her a friend, but more importantly, she told me that her dreams never changed, just the destination. She may not work at ESPN or may not be doing what people thought she would be doing, but her dreams are still the same. And so for me, and I hope for you, the takeaway is dreams can stay the same, but the destination might not be the same. And at the end of the day, all of that is okay.
3: You got to know who you are when you come through the door. This is why, because that day is going to come when they're going to test you. They're going to try you in a major way. And when that happens, you got to know what you're about and what you're willing to lose. And, you know, the the president tried me. The White House tried me. ESPN tried me. And I was just like, you know, considering that I'm so far ahead of the game, having come from, you know, being on food stamps. My mother's a recovering drug addict. My dad is a recovering drug addict. My mo- My grandmother was a functional alcoholic. Coming from that, I'm so far ahead and so blessed. Like if I gotta take this quote unquote L, I'll take yeah. it. Yeah, I'd have dealt with a whole lot worse than the president mouthing off about me. You yeah. know, I know who I am. Donald Trump didn't define who I am. Uh his rabbit little fans and cult followers, they don't define who I am. So because I had such a strong sense of that, I was able to weather a lot of things. And and really kind of always keep it in in perspective. I mean, it was definitely some moments of deep introspection and reflection, of wondering, like, all right, if I get fired, you know, whose couch am I gonna be sleeping on? Carrie's cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Me and Coco snuggle. Yep. I feel you Coco. and Coco snuggling up. <laughs> okay. So, so do you have yeah. when you say deep introspection and reflection? I know I know the answer, but I gotta ask, would you change anything? One thing, maybe. Not so much the tweet, but maybe less of a tweet or more of a demand or require protection. Would you have done anything differently um, uh, in that particular instance?
3: Um, It's hard to say because I. It's hard to say I would have because if I don't do that, I'm not here right now talking to you. That's right. Um, And at this place in my life, there are what I regret and. Oh, I, I mean, this—I I hate to use the word regret because I don't really believe in regrets. Uh, because everything is a lesson. Everything does get you a, to a different station in life. However, the part that will never sit right with me is you can't control the collateral damage. And I felt like yeah. when we started the six, um, uh, Mike and I, uh, Michael Smith and I, you know, we came in there with a vision and a plan, and with the best intentions to make that the best show on ESPN. We weren't able to fulfill that. And I thought he was collateral damage in all of this. Of anybody mm. who I wished I could have changed things for and made it different for it, it's Mike. Because he wasn't able to get control of where his career and path were going as a result of me. You know, that's the thing about when you go into these TV partnerships, this is a warning sign for you, by the way, is that, you know, when, they, when you are seen as a unit, when it's two of y'all, it's, it is like a work marriage.
0: Yeah, because my I remember person, Mike being like, I didn't tweet nothing.
3: <laughs> you know <laughs> you, what I'm saying? don't matter. I mean, it don't matter. Yes, it don't matter. <laughs> he going down on the Titanic with me. <laughs> you know, it's like... uh and by the way, was- that speaks
0: to who you are. I just want, I like, I have to slow you down when you, when you brush over things like that. The one thing that you wish you could change was the collateral damage. And, and, and we're in a business of very selfish people, but you've always, which is why you have such equity um, in terms of your peers. You are always worried about somebody else or trying to amplify someone else's voice or trying to make someone else better. Um, you know, the circumstances happened as they did. And Mike, there's a learning lesson for everybody involved. You know, everybody needs, if you're listening to this, everybody needs a backup plan. You always have to have something else that you can do if all the shit just fails and blows up overnight. You can't, and this is not about anybody in particular, but that's the learning lesson that I saw from afar. I was like, either you pick yourself up and you move on. It was easier for you to do so because- you had a name you had made. Everyone had known you for this and they wanted you to speak everywhere. And then you became your voice became more powerful. So you were able to transition. But the lesson is always be able to. It's almost like that movie. You ever watch that Robert De Niro movie uh, in Al Pacino? What was that one with heat? And then he was oh, like, yeah. you got to be yeah. ready to drop everything and run. Drop and like everything. In, yep. <laughs> yeah. It it 30, like, that's, just leave. It all you, behind, essentially. You have to be able to mentally leave things behind if you ever want to be successful because things will happen. It's like the great quarterbacks. You got to have amnesia. The be- the best athletes yeah. have amnesia. I got to go out there next play, next down, whatever it is. And you've been able to do that. So I think I, I think that people should understand that is a huge for you to acknowledge that you wish that things could have been done differently for Mike.
3: Yeah, I mean, and, and not just, um, I mean, I knew... I could move on, not just because of everything that happened and because of how my profile exploded, but also because you know, there were a lot, there was a lot of drama, as you know, being my friend on the show, period. You know, um, and that was gonna be it for me anyway. I wanted
0: to because um, you, you can only center. take so much drama. You know, like like,
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, nah, man. That's like what was going on behind the scenes? It was like that's too much foolishness for me. My nerves was bad, you know. So uh-huh. I, I already was in the mindset of thinking that, okay, when this deal is up, here are the things that I wanted to do. I, I thought that it would essentially be over. But the part that I didn't like is that not only did it put Mike on a different course that he hadn't really anticipated, and very abruptly too, like this happened fast. uh mm-hmm. you know I tweeted that in October 2017. I left the show in February of 2018. And um, I I didn't even make it a full year. You know, it was like just a week shy of making it a full year on SportsCenter. And, you know, the other part of it, too, is just from a a company standpoint, they didn't seem to really care about the position that they put him in when I got suspended and he did the show by himself. Uh, He didn't do it initially, maybe like the first couple of days. And then he did the show. Um, And they didn't think about him really much after I left. You know, they had no plan for him. And. He had been too of too much of a dedicated employee. I mean, you know Mike's personality. He pours his entire soul into everything. And for them to do him like that, that, like that, that was just it was just wrong, you know, period. And so as being one of my closest friends, of course, I didn't want to see that happen to him as a as a result. I was able to leave SportsCenter free and clear and conscious clear in terms of Uh, what I put into it. But I know it wasn't so easy for him. Um, And so at any rate, all the things that happen, you know, that's the one that is always going to be tough for me. And, And, you know, we didn't get to end things our own way. We came into it our own way, didn't get to end that way. And so it denied us, I guess, a full circle moment as well.
0: Well, that's okay because your careers aren't over. Everybody is still alive and you never know what could happen. I have to ask you, as you're at this point now, two years removed, Um, How does it feel uh, to be where you are Um, in terms of you're an entrepreneur, you are producing behind the scenes scripted television, uh, you have a show coming out with yours truly, you seem to be able to put your hand in some of everything and really require the freedom, if not the autonomy to do journalism the way in which you want
3: it is freeing that's a, a great word to use um it's freeing and it's challenging it's exhilarating it's all of those things but the one thing that i always worry about with myself in particular and it it harkens back to what we were just talking about when all the stuff happened you know with Donald Trump and the fallout from leaving the 6 and thus leaving ESPN is that i am the type of person who will be like you make the most um, uh, nuanced and, and sort of deep dive analogy that I can using the movie Soul Food <laughs> with um, Neil Long and Vanessa Williams. You go deep dive into the black cinema world here. <laughs> uh, in the movie Soul Food, everybody know Big Mama had diabetes. Real bad. <laughs> Big Mama had diabetes so bad. I know Carrie's like, where is this going? I promise you, <laughs> it'll be worth it. In the poetry.
0: Biology. Here comes so, the poetry, yeah.
3: Big Mama has diabetes. They find out Big Mama is something ain't right with her because they're in the kitchen making a traditional Sunday dinner and her arm is above the stove and the stove is, is lit. There's fire coming out. And she has no idea her arm is burning because that's one of the things that happens when you have very serious diabetes is that you lose a sense of, of, of feeling around certain parts of your body. Usually it's in your feet. In her case, it was her forearm. And it's burning and, you know, the little uh, her grandson had to be like, hey, big mama, you're burning your arm. That is me. Uh, My arm might be uh... on fire and I might not know it. And so the thing I worried about with myself during both that period and now, as great as this time is in my career, is I got to watch to make sure my arm ain't on fire mm. on the stove. I mean, that is. Uh, something I'm trying to get increasingly more cognizant of, being very aware and protective of my mental energy um, and understanding when I'm mentally exhausted and mm-hmm. what that feels like for me. Um, you know, because one of the things I've really noticed is like is anxiety is, is real. I mean, I I know people who experience it, but sometimes I have a very high level of it and I don't even I I only realize it by my sleeping patterns. 'Cause I think you just asked me this. You're like, why are you up at five a.m.? That's why. I mean, I can yeah. go to sleep at two AM and be up at five. Which yeah, your is, mind won't shut off. Yeah. Yeah, my mind won't shut off. I was like, I I gotta make sure at this point, um, with everything I have going on, being able to be blessed enough to be able to do these different things, I gotta make sure that I check in on me. Um mm-hmm. and the people around me, you know, you, my husband certainly, they try to do that, but I guess I'm, you know, like all black women, you're so used to feeling as if you got to master it all. Even when you have
0: support, you don't even know how to use it in the right way. You feel uncomfortable even asking for
4: it.
3: Correct. And sometimes you don't even know what it looks like. Right, You may not know that I need this specifically because you don't know how to voice it because you're not used to being vulnerable in front of everybody. That's yeah. why I always tell people I'm so glad that I got married because it was forcing me into a vulnerable space where I have to admit certain things to another person for our marriage to work. Because otherwise <laughs> I would be otherwise left to my own devices. Girl, I don't know what this pandemic might have been like for me. Girl. <laughs> it been crazy. It crazy.
0: Episode six, Draymond Green. Now this is funny because I had my own thoughts about One Mr. Draymond Green, three-time NBA champion. But I had the opportunity to work with him as well. Um, And I found myself saying that old cliche, do not judge a book by its cover. Uh, And he is arguably one of the most thoughtful, if not kind, human beings that I know. Uh, I know that sounds odd considering how he is on the court. But, you know, it's a different environment. He's at work. He has to be Draymond Green, you know, for the Golden State Warriors. But I do believe that he is the same person. It's just that he's misunderstood. And one of his key takeaways was stop trying to be understood. He told him that the late great Kobe Bryant shared that message with him. It's so true. When you try to explain yourself, when you try to get people to see your side, when you try to um, do things that haven't been done before, you most definitely will be misunderstood. And I believe subjectively that is another lesson in greatness. Don't try to be understood. They don't know what you're doing because it hasn't been done before. What is there, What is there? what one or two things are there about Draymond Green that people just do not know? What would they be surprised to find out? That also adds to the fact that you are a leader.
2: I think there are a ton of things people don't know about me. I think one of the things people don't know about me is I'm probably one of the nicest people to ever meet. And as long as you don't, like, do something out of the ordinary, or you know, pick with me to like push me some other direction. I'm I'm a really nice person, and I take pride in being like a really nice, great person because I think in this world that we live in, there's not a lot of great people. Like there's not a lot of nice people, and so I take I really take pride in being an amazing person. Um, and something else that people don't know about me? Um, Well, I think I'm very misunderstood. And I think the misunderstanding comes from exactly what we were just speaking of. You know, and this is a cool story. I've told this story several times now, but you will appreciate it more than anyone. Is I think it was 2016. It was 100% 2016. Um, I got... I got suspended from from game five of the finals. And obviously we lost the finals that that changed the whole series. And you know, it was it was rough on me that whole playoffs, you know, like with the Steven Adams thing. And like I I got a flagrant foul for like wrestling Mike Beasley to the ground. And right and and really, like they call it a flagrant foul. Like I aggressively Tackle him to the ground when reality like we need to get a foul and I'm realizing that no one else is fouling, So I'm just grabbing him. So the referee will blow the whistle. Right. I get a flagrant foul because of you have this reputation. In reality, they probably just wasn't as smart basketball wise as I was, but my reputation. And so I get the flagrant foul and that happens. And then. You know, the Steven Adams things happen this happens and I'm flopping like everybody else, but I got this reputation that I'ma just kick kick a man where he shouldn't be touched. Like like but everybody else I remember. Flop. Like everybody else flop and try to sell cars and it's no big deal, but I got this reputation. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, um and so I'm going through it there and where You know, the media is dragging me. You know, like, I feel like everybody only builds you up to tear you down. You know, but until Mm -hmm. you're built up to be torn down, you really don't understand it. Like, it's one of those things where you hear it over and over again, but you don't understand it truly until you go through it. And so, you know, we won a championship, come back 2016, all-star, all of these things. I got a new contract. I'm being built up to be torn down. And uh, as they're building me up to tear me down, sure enough... Playoffs are going on. They are tearing me down. Every article you read, I'm this, I'm that, I'm dirty. And, like, I know I'm the furthest from dirty that you uh, – a like, I'm not doing nothing dirty. Like, that's just not me. But that's the narrative. And I'm struggling real bad. And so, who do I call on? I call on Kobe. And I call Kobe. And I'm just like, Kobe, like – I'm struggling, like I don't know, like these people are trying to kill me. It's all. It almost feel like they're trying to end my career. And I've worked my ass off to get to this point and it just almost feel like they're trying to end my career. And Cole told me, it, uh, he said, well Dre, I'm gonna tell you this. He said, you're chasing something so much bigger, so much greater than the average person can understand that you will spend the rest of your career waiting on them to understand you. He said, because the reality is 99% of the world is okay with mediocrity. As long as they can be mediocre in something, they are just fine with that. He said 99% of the world is okay with that. So if 99% of the world is okay with mediocrity and you're chasing something so much greater than they are, they even think about chasing, how do you ever expect them to be able to understand you? They'll never understand you because you're chasing something so big that they can't even wrap their mind, they can't even begin to wrap their mind around what you're actually out there doing or what's going through your mind or what you're doing on a daily basis. They can't fathom that. Because it's so far beyond what they expect or want or will push for for themselves. So as long as you're going to sit here and worry about what they're saying about you or them understanding you, you you will look up, your career will be over, and you'll still be sitting there trying to figure out, do they understand you yet or not? He said, in reality is, Dre, I, I never gave a fuck if they understood me. Because I knew I was on to something so much bigger than they could ever understand. Why the hell would I sit and wait for them to try to understand me? And that right there kind of changed my whole outlook on just me. You know what I'm saying? And and being comfortable with being exactly who I am and who I was at that time.
0: I absolutely Love that story. You already know why I love it, but I absolutely love that story. We love it because. (laughs) No, I love it because. Yes, yes, of course, because of Kobe. But listen, do you know how I relate to that? I, I can constantly misunderstood, but you can't worry about them trying to figure out who you are or what you are. It's only for you and yours to know because you're on to something else. Like, I relate to that. You can feel that. You know when you're special, when you're set apart. Kobe knew that. You knew that. I know that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the point of this podcast. It's the brown print. We're doing it differently. Everybody can't do it like us.
2: By the way, I was I was super excited to come on this podcast you know, it's the brown print. I felt like I could come on here, and it's like some super brown people shit, and I love that. I love that. That's what you stand for. I think you know, and discussing this, it's like, like you. I think you and you and Jamel will forever be connected, and that's just because like y'all are two brown women on some brown people shit and embodying <laughs> that, and like. Yeah, I'm not working with y'all no more. This is what I want to do. And we're going to go do it ourselves because we like that too. And y'all say we can't, we doing that. And and so I was extremely excited to come on here and like talk my shit because I felt like I can come on here and talk like some straight brown people shit. And, And it's cool.
0: All It's a fact. All of it is. Everything you're saying is different. Everything we do is different because the blueprint isn't for us. It will never be for us. And for us to succeed is a way in which only we can. It's it's supposed to be different. It's only for people who've been marginalized and not thought about and forgotten. And we out here winning. And last but not least, episode seven, Elaine Walteroff. Now that young lady, she is... She's special. Um, She was the very first African-American EIC editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. And she became an overnight star, if you will, an overnight celebrity, Um, social media celebrity. She was the it person. Uh, People went to her because they wanted to be around her. She was the foremost authority on all things entertainment and fashion and what's cool. And I remember thinking when she was first announced as the EIC wow that's powerful wow I'm impressed wow I envy her and not in a bad way but in a way that wow she's so young and she was able to take over and I'm just so impressed but she shared with us on this podcast that you know all that glitters isn't necessarily gold she talked about how difficult it was when they did give her that position and how they gave her the position with asterisks the asterisks probably didn't give her as much power as she wanted it probably didn't give her as much money as she wanted she did say that but she knew that just being there was a revolutionary act and that was just powerful in itself and she talked about being the first now this has stayed with me arguably more than anything else um, in these last 16 episodes and it was being the first always comes with cuts and bruises. When you break that glass ceiling, if you will, it will always come with cuts and bruises. And oftentimes, we don't talk about it. But we should start, because people need to know what it takes to be the first. Blew me away. When I was at ESPN, I was the first black woman to ever host a show Monday through Friday. We've had other black women, Robin Roberts and Sage Steele, but I hosted a show Monday through Friday, what we call in-house. That was our black term, in-house. Um, and I didn't know that, right? And it didn't matter. But what I did know is that I was woefully underpaid. And I found that out. <laughs> You're going to fall out laughing. One day, um, my check, my, my one check that I got paid, because I got paid every, you know, every two weeks. Something happened. It was a mix-up in accounting. <laughs> Sorry, that's Coco. Something happened. There was a mix-up in accounting, and I got a check for, like, maybe $150,000. And that was for somebody's one pay period. You know, I was barely, I was making one hundred and fifty dollars a year. This is when I first got there in 2012. So whoever was sitting on either side of me, my two male co-hosts, was getting paid $150,000 every two weeks. Wow, that was what I was making for the year. Girl. The level of disrespect I felt, I didn't expect to be paid what they made, but I was like, oh you, got, oh, you guys really are like, she doesn't fucking matter. You better be happy to be here, little black girl. And I remember calling my agent and telling him, and he was like, you should just be grateful. You know I fired his ass. So... That's how I was introduced and nothing ever changed. And I fought. And I got to the point where by the time I left, you're like, she's always asking for things. You're damn right. Because I came in here so woefully underpaid. I'm always asking for things. But what we do is that we don't work for them. We work for the Lord. So we show up every day and we do a great job. And we always do. I never, I never mail it in. Like I always want to do a great job because that's a reflection of me and who I work for, which is not them ultimately. I want you to talk about that for you. And I'm going to put my dog, I'm going to put it my, I'm putting my thing on mute because my dog is cuckoo. Sorry.
4: <laughs> it wasn't easy. It took a toll on my spirit. It took a toll on my mental health. It took a toll on my physical health. Um, and at, uh, it's, it's something that I wrestled with a lot, a lot more than I think even people who worked with me even had any idea because we, we sort of put on our armor and we go in and we, you know, make the best of some bad situations sometimes. And we, you know, we were trained up to to make lemonade out of lemons. And um, I remember when I called, when I was in that sort of pivotal moment where I was offered the job and then I was told, um, you have until like 11 a.m. for this press lo- announcement to go out. This was, it was at 10, 15, I was told that. So, um, and I was like, wait, but like, is there an opportunity to negotiate, to talk about, and I was told no. And if, um, what was I told specifically? The words were, um, we would hate to put the, we would hate to have to make this announcement without you but we want to be clear that this announcement is going out at 11 a.m. with or without you. So (laughs) for that announcement to then go out and, well, I'll say, so, so that's what I was told. And so in that, like, critical window where I was given this ultimatum, I called my trusted mentor an older man Mm -hmm. and I said what do I do Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do Mm -hmm. and this is someone who every step of the way had told me you're the smartest person in the room you are a boss yeah you like you got this like this was the person that I called to build me up and also to help me be strategic in navigating this rise. And he'd been there to help support the, the wins along the way. And he knew he, he, he felt I was qualified for this job. And so when I called him in that moment, I said, I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm between a rock and a hard place. And he said, took a, it was like a pregnant pause. And he was like, you don't have any leverage. Aye. And it was like my la- I I thought of if anyone in this world can tell me something, give me a gem, give me something to go back with to help me fight. And when he said those words, I just really lost hope. And I felt like I had no agency. And I felt like I had to just like take it and make do and make the best of it. And so I told myself, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work so hard to make it so clear that i earned this job yeah. and that mm. i deserve so much more than what i have been offered that it will make them embarrassed mm. and i am Good. going to prove it in spades uh-huh. i uh-huh. i and i I focused on the work almost as a way, and it took a minute actually to, I, I, I sort of made that, it was, I was resolute in like proving my worth instead of negotiating for my worth, which I felt I had to do because I was told I had no leverage. And, and what I will say though is the very next day within 24 hours, once that announcement went out, You know who gave me my leverage? Black Twitter. Amen. Every (laughs) black person that celebrated that win online and said how much it meant, what it meant to the culture, the fact that that became this big diversity win for the company actually did give me leverage. Because Mm. now now somebody knows my name. (laughs) You know, um, before that, I'm like, no one knows who I am. No, you know, but I thought I could ring that alarm if I had to, like, if I had to say, you know, and I don't want to, I want to do the job. I just want to be paid fairly for the job that I've been asked to do. That's it. I want to
0: be paid more than fairly Elaine, because I'm going to do more than what the job is worth. And I'm going to, I'm going to meet you above the expectations you've been set for yourself. I'm going to be excellent. That's what we do. I'm never not going to be excellent. You don't think I'm prepared. I'm more prepared than you know. You don't think I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm sorry. That's what we do because we don't have a choice. So pay me more. Always ask for more because you're going to give more because you're more than enough.
4: Girl, girl, girl. Now, now somebody else else needs to pass the the (laughs) plate. Pass the plate. We We need to pass the plate one more time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was a word. And you're right. But it takes time to get to that, that place where you, yeah. where you know that, where that you know that you know that you know that and you can use that in your negotiations. But at that point, I felt like I just, all I had was um, my work ethic and I felt like I need to show improve. Mm-hmm. You did.
0: Listen, if you haven't caught up on all the episodes of The Brown Print, do me a favor. Uh, definitely catch up on all sixteen episodes. Thank you so much for listening to the Brown Print. Bye. That's it for this week's episode of the Brown Print. Let's keep the conversation going online. You know I love to go online. Follow us on Instagram at the Brown Print Podcast and on Twitter at Brown Print Pod. Follow me, Carrie Champion, on IG and Twitter. You can find me at Carrie Champion. Don't at me if you got attitude. Well, okay. We'd love to hear your feedback or if there's a specific topic you want us to tackle or guests that you want us to have on, please reach out to the brownprintpod at gmail.com. Again, at brownprintpod at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. It helps spread the word. It is so important that we stay active and vocal. We'd greatly appreciate it if you showed us some love by leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. If you do not, I know you are a hater. Ha ha. Kidding. Kind of. Not really. Meanwhile, uh, again, five-star rating and positive review. We need it. It really helps the podcast grow. The Brown Print is a Gallery Media Group original production.